Well, hello. Welcome back. Welcome to the Living Brightly podcast. I'm Elaine Cross. I'm your host. This is the sixth in a series of podcasts that kind of lay the foundation for what it means to live brightly. I'm so glad you came to join me. If this is your first time hearing, I would ask you to start at the beginning. It starts with B. You've heard the song, the Star Spangled Banner, the national anthem. Well, for the United States, <laughs> the national anthem is the Star Spangled Banner. And you may know that the author of that song is Francis Scott Key, that he wrote it while on a prisoner ship in the ocean watching as the battle raged on Fort McHenry. It's easy to think of him writing that song. And it's an easy jump to say, oh, yeah, there were all those people that were fighting that war revolution to be free to create what is now known as the United States of America. But we know there was more than just Francis Scott Key. Certainly there was the commander of the ship that he was on and the reason he was on the ship. But he didn't write it in isolation. He didn't come up with it in isolation. He didn't even think about it. He wrote that poem in response to everything that was happening around him, everything that he was a part of the group of people that he was working with to establish a country apart and separate from the British nation to be a place where people could be truly free from the rule of the king, where they could establish their own government and establish their own way to ensure that each person had equal access to opportunity and freedoms that wasn't dependent upon the hierarchy of the king and the lords and the landowners and the way most governments functioned up until that point. What begins with T? Tribe. Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world to let our light so shine that others may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. But what does that mean? Well, that's what we talk about here on Living Brightly. But to kind of explain what that means so that we all understand or are on the same page, I took the letters to Brightly, B-R-I-G-H-T-L-Y, and used each letter to describe one facet of what it means to live brightly. The first four letters represent our personal relationship with God, what that intimate personal relationship with God means, which is critical to live brightly, to let our light shine. The next four represent our relationships that we have with other people. So where the first four is what you might call your vertical relationship with God, the next four is how we interact in this world, really how we live out our light, how we live brightly. And this is the sixth. It is T. And T stands for tribe. And I alluded to that a little bit there in the beginning that Francis Scott Key wrote the Star Spangled Banner, the national anthem for the United States. But we don't really consider the fact that it's not a solitary thing. A nation is a type of tribe. A culture is a type of tribe. And that's what we're going to talk about today on Living Brightly. What is a tribe? A tribe is a group of people, an aggregate of people with common ties. And when I say the word tribe, one of the first things that comes to mind is a group of people like a nation. In the United States of America, we have a lot of Native American tribes, the Choctaw, the Mohawk, the Crow. There are also the 12 tribes of Abraham, brothers. They also represent large groups of people. A tribe can be as small as a family. 
In Genesis 122, God tells the birds and the fish to be fruitful and multiply. Have babies, make your numbers grow, become a lot of birds and a lot of fishes, right? And in verse 26, he said, let's make man, which the word there is Adam, in our image and likeness to dominate the earth. God made Adam in his image and his likeness, male and female, he made them. And in verse 28, God blesses them and says to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over everything. Some translations say bring under submission instead of subdue. The word for rule over is like to subjugate. We have learned that the physical law, the natural law of physics, is everything in the universe goes toward chaos. If we leave a garden go, it will become overrun with weeds and briars and scrub brush and different things if we don't push back the chaos. So when God created man, male and female, he said, one of your biggest jobs, your biggest responsibility is to push back against the chaos that wants to take over the earth. It's your job to create a livable space that's good and pleasing for both you as humans and the animals, the birds, the fishes and the water creatures. That's a tall order. It doesn't mean that we don't use any of the resources. Certainly God provided those and wanted us to use trees to build houses. We could dig up coal or oil and use it to heat or create electricity. We just need to be good stewards. In chapter two, it's kind of a retelling of the creation story, but there's this little twist to it. It says God planted the Garden of Eden and put man in it and gave him trees for food. And then talks about these four rivers and gold that is good and put Adam in the garden and said, work it, subjugate it. Again, this kind of control it, push back the chaos. And then he said, it's not good for man to be alone. So I'll make him a helper. Well, if it was just about being married, we would see right then that God would anesthetize Adam, pull a rib out, create Eve and bring Eve to him but he doesn't. God goes on to bring every animal before Adam and have Adam give it a name. So Adam had to name all the birds, all the animals, and still there was not a helper found. And then it's at this point that God anesthetizes them, does the surgery, takes out the rib, makes the woman. And here we see the first idea of tribe. Chapter 2, verse 23, he says, She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And these are different words than every other time man was used. Prior to chapter 2, verse 23, the word for man is Adam. It's always Adam. Adam is like a generic word for human, it's not gender specific. Basically, we're going to make a human. God makes a human. Adam means human, just man. But when Adam meets Eve and he says she will be called woman, the word woman there is Isha. That is wife. This is a woman that he will share his life with. And it says she will be called woman because she was taken from man. And that word man is not Adam, it's Ish, an adult man with responsibilities and with connection with tribe. 
And then in verse 24, it says, he will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife in one flesh. That's the basic unit, basic idea of tribe, that we need each other. And it's not that men don't need other men and women don't need other women. We need people in our life to make our life full and to make the most out of our life. There are lots of studies about isolation. In fact, they've had to alter the laws and rules that govern torture and imprisonment because isolation is so hard on the human mind and the human soul that they have to restrict the amount of time somebody can be totally isolated. I'm recording this in 2021, and we have just gone through a lot of the COVID epidemic. We're not quite done with it, but we have really realized how hard isolation can become. Even in this day and age, when we have TV and we have radio and we have Skype and we have telephone calls, it's not the same as having face-to-face human contact. Being part of a tribe, being part of a community, as small as an intimate partner and as large as a culture and a nation is vital to letting our light shine. Why does it matter how bright our light is if there's nobody around to see it? It's kind of like the, if a tree falls in the woods, does it still make a sound? Well, of course it makes a sound. Just because you didn't hear it doesn't mean it didn't make a sound. But if you are trying to make a light to dispel the darkness, to help other people find their way, what point is that if you're building this light and either hiding it under a bushel, as the children's song goes, Or you're building it in a place that's so isolated and apart from other people that it doesn't have any effect to help guide them or help show them what God's love is like. The New Testament is full of verses that talk about doing things with one another, for one another, because of each other. Jesus's new command is to love God and love others. We need to be with others. We can't do it all alone. There are a lot of commands of ways that we should treat other people in the positive and ways that we should not mistreat other people, that we should be loving and what loving looks like. We are so hardwired to be in community that we can see this all the way on the negative side as well. Yes, we can band together to build a family, to build a country to create a whole new way of governing a group of people so that this group of people in the United States would have more freedoms, more rights, more opportunity, and generate more wealth, create more medicine, create new and ingenious ways to communicate, to entertain, to serve, to help. So many things were developed because of the American Revolution and people working together for good. When people are completely isolated and don't have a tribe, they will fight to connect with somebody, anybody. And if you're in a situation where you don't know how precious you are to God and how valued you are to community as a whole, you can attach yourself or connect yourself to somebody who is not looking out for your best interests, someone who is not taking care of you, but is looking to serve themselves or deal with their own insecurities. 
1973, there were four people, employees of a bank, held hostage. Desperate people decided that they would rob a bank. Kind of motivated because there were some other recent bank robberies that were pretty successful. So they thought, hey, what the heck, let's just do it. And they did. So they got in there and they had the only the bank employees and they put dynamite around them. So they kind of gave them a crude version of a suicide vest. So they wrapped them in dynamite and hold them hostage because they're trying to rob this bank. Now, I'm not exactly sure why they just held them hostage for several days. There's not a whole lot of detail except that apparently they couldn't get away. But over these six days, they held them in the bank with sticks of dynamite wrapped around their bodies. The bank robbers talked to them and spent time with them and they would get them food and water and they kind of shared their story, probably their struggle, why they needed to rob the bank, why they needed money, all the things that were happening in their life and developed a type of relationship with the bank employees. Now, eventually the bank robbers got arrested, the prisoners were set free, but In the process, the prisoners didn't want to help the police officers. They actually supported the robbers. They didn't want to testify against the bank robbers. They didn't want to see them get arrested and taken into custody. Bank robbers got arrested, got like eight years or something. Well, one of the captors was so adamant that these people were not as dangerous or bad or evil as they were. And eventually, one of the sentences got completely commuted, meaning he didn't have to serve any more time. He was released from prison. (laughs) And we hear these stories and you think, that's kind of crazy. It was that incident in 1973 that took place in Stockholm, Sweden. Stockholm, you may have heard, they coined this term Stockholm Syndrome based on the response of these captives, these people that were held with dynamite wrapped around them who wanted to protect the bank robbers. They wanted to protect the people that had put them in this position of imminent death. We see similar responses to this type of extremely negative behavior in other people who have been either kidnapped, held captive, or even domestic violence situations, where it's a very painful, destructive, evil type of a relationship. And yet the the prisoner or the, the captive feels so connected to the people that are mistreating them or the person that is mistreating them, that they don't want to testify against them. They don't want to leave them. If they do leave them, they go back. And it's a very interesting phenomenon. And psychologists don't really know how to explain it. They don't see it as a mental disorder. They don't really see it even as a syndrome, as as some kind of medical, physical syndrome. But they see it more as a coping mechanism. Well, what kind of coping mechanism would be so strong that would make you want to go back to somebody who abuses you, who would 
push away family members and those who love them from their family and friends because it's disrupting or agitating the abuser. So they push these relationships away and become very isolated with a very dysfunctional relationship. That's because we are created for community. We're created for a tribe. We need each other. We need other people in our life that we can serve and who can serve us. People that we can lean on, people that we can trust, people that we believe will encourage us or support us, protect us. And if we don't have anybody that can be that in a positive way, we will even go so far as to connect with someone who will do those things in a negative way that will further isolate you from other people, but you become their their whole world. If we're going to live brightly, if we're going to let our light shine, we need to have a community connection. Our first most intimate community connection, our first tribe is our family home, our family of origin, our mother, our father, our siblings. And we see that the destruction of that most intimate tribe of the the home family. When Martin Luther King was leading the civil rights movement in the 1960s in the United States, 80% of the African-American family, the black family in America was complete, a mother, a father, and children living in the home, working together, being their own tribe. Currently, today, or most recently, those numbers have been flipped on their heads and 80% of the black families in the United States are single parent homes. When that immediate tribe, when the man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, when that is destroyed, it has these ripples of impact on every other aspect of your tribe going out. So if the immediate tribe is your spouse, And then from that is your family and your friends. And from that is your co-workers or people that you might know casually. And beyond that might be, or your community. And then beyond that, your nation or your state. You have these ripples out, these concentric rings of connection. But when the first most intimate ring, the first most intimate tribe is dysfunctional or broken or not working right, it's going to impact all the rest because your your worldview of the rest is slanted. Some of us are single by choice. Some of us are widows. Or, so even if you are a widow, you still have a very intimate tribe. Men and women look at the world in a different way, a different perspective. And we need all of that to have healthy functioning individuals so that then we can have a healthy functioning community. And that may be your church community or your your family community, or your work community. Every dimension of life is impacted by every other dimension when it comes to this interpersonal relationships and how much we can let our light shine. As long as you have other relationships within your life, within your communities, that fill those roles so that you can identify where you have weaknesses and you can identify people who are strong in those areas where you are weak, And you can lean on them to get those needs met. And you can take the areas where you are strong and you can serve those people around you 
with those areas that you have a strength in and the whole benefits, the whole tribe, the whole community benefits. Who's in your most intimate tribe? Are you supporting, encouraging, loving them? Can they trust you, lean on you and ask you for support when they need it? That's step one. From there, there is no limit to the ways that God can use us to love on his other children. It is the great command. Love God and love others. It sounds simple, but it's really complex. Loving others can be difficult. Loving others can be exhausting. Loving others sometimes requires that we put what we want, what we would like to do, and what we would like to have on hold while we serve God's other's children through our time, our talent, our treasure, the skills and gifts that he gives us to let our light shine. Serving God's children is like putting fuel on your fire. When Francis Scott Key wrote the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, he wrote it thinking of not just the prisoners he was seeking to free by making a deal with the British Empire. He was considering all the people that were fighting the British Empire at Fort McHenry, that his tribe, his people, his future depended upon the people that were still on land while he was sitting out at sea. The deal was that as soon as the flag went down, the British would consider Fort McHenry surrendered and the whole revolution over that the American rebels had decided to allow the king to continue to rule. But they didn't and they wouldn't because they were fighting together for something bigger than just them. They were working as a tribe. And Francis Scott Key knew that. And Francis Scott Key wrote that poem based on what he saw, that this whole nation was working together, which ended up being to the benefit of the whole world. Every country on the face of the earth has been blessed by the freedoms that were created during that Revolutionary War. We are told in Genesis to fight back against the chaos to create tribes, to create family units. And God prayed to the animals in front of Adam because the animals are not enough. Yes, we use horses, we use cattle, we use lots of animals to help us in our work. But animals and tools are not enough. We need each other to do the work together to push back the chaos so that we can create a safe space, a healthy space, for everyone to live, including the animals, that we can take care of the animals. If you've ever been on a farm, it's not a one-man show. It takes several people to run a farm effectively. We need each other. We need our tribe. We need our community. We need our community that works with us so that we can not only push against the natural chaos that is trying to overwhelm us, but also so that we can be the light to those who don't know yet the truth and the love that Jesus offers. That's the reason the psychologists don't get it. That's why the psychologists can't explain Stockholm Syndrome. They think it's mental. They think it's a coping strategy because they know it's not a mental disease or disorder or syndrome. But it's not just mental. It's spiritual. We were spiritually made to live in a tribe, to live in community, 
to live with each other. No matter how difficult or wonderful it can be, we need each other. We need our tribe, our most intimate tribe, and we need those ripples of tribe. The the ripples that include our friends and family, our church members, our community, our culture, our country, our nation. Each one of those ripples can be impacted for the kingdom of God. Working together as believers, living brightly, we can work together, acknowledge and love and support each other. This is one of the walls of our building where the first four believer rest identity and gifts are all our personal connection with God, our personal relationship with God. That's the foundation of who we are. And then on top of that, we start building the walls of our building and our individual buildings coming together to create this light to the darkness, to show the way to draw people to Christ. The first wall is honor, how we honor each other. And the second is tribe. And you can see how honor and tribe go together. You need both of those. As we build this temple, we build this this living temple that we are, that we can be the light of the world. We can be the light to the world. We can show the way to a, a life that believes in the one true God and Jesus' son who gave it all so that we could have a relationship with him. Not so that you can get some kind of an award or some kind of accolade, but that those people would be drawn to Christ, drawn to understand what makes us different. How are you different because God is in your life, because you trust God with your future, because you trust God with your finances, because you trust God with where you're going to live and what you're going to do and how you're going to respond to those difficult situations and why you respond to those difficult situations the way that you do. It's in those ways that we can impact those around us. What begins with T? Tribe. We're going to let our light shine, that we can glorify our Father which is in heaven. We need to do that as a member of a tribe, a member of a bigger community. Serving God's children is like putting fuel on your fire living with other people, sharing this journey, sharing this life with other people, having companions that you can support and help and encourage, and at the same time, call on when you need support, encouragement, or a kick in the pants. We were created for community. We were created to be part of a tribe. Who's your tribe? Thanks for joining me. Till next time.